Over these last several weeks, Peter has been reminding us of the impact that Jesus should make in our lives, both in how we look and at how we live. And as we begin chapter 4 of this letter today, we will see Peter continue to work this out for us in practical, practical ways, intentional ways. In essence, Peter wants us to live on purpose. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Peter says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, because of what Jesus has done specifically regarding suffering, we are to arm ourselves with the same purpose. Uh, to arm ourselves, what, what does this mean? Well, it's, it's as it sounds as we think of arming oneself historically. It's, it's to make ready, it's to equip, it's being armed for battle. Well, what kind of battle are we speaking? Well, it's a battle against spiritual things fleshed out. It's, it's the battle against sin. And, and we are to be armed with the same purpose, the, the same resolve, the same design, the same intent as Jesus' purpose. What is Jesus' purpose? Well, what did Jesus pray in the garden on the night of his arrest? Not my will, but yours, Father. Jesus set aside himself to combat sin to follow the Father's will. And the weapon which we take in battle, it's what Jesus took. It's us saying, Lord, it's not our will, it's your will. It's as Jesus' weapon was his submission to the Lord, that's our weapon, our submission to the Lord. Peter says, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Hmm. The one who has suffered in the flesh has, has ceased from sin. Of whom is Peter speaking? Jesus? If the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin, we're, we're implying that Jesus sinned, and that's not the case. Jesus never sinned. So Peter is speaking of the one who has been armed with the same purpose of Jesus. Peter is saying if this one has done the arming up of suffering being willing to trust the Father when the tough times come, then this one will have ceased from sin. What does Peter mean exactly? Does he mean that eventually we just won't sin anymore? No, we will see our purpose being fulfilled. The old pulpit commentary, the writer wrote it like this. If when we are called to suffer, we offer up our sufferings to Christ who suffered for us, and we unite our sufferings with His by faith in Him, then those sufferings, thus sanctified, thus set apart, destroy the power of sin, and they make us cease from sin. And Peter is going to explain this sanctification, this, this setting aside of sin for the Lord's purpose in verse 2. We arm ourselves with the same purpose, verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human lusts, but for the will of God. In our remaining time in this life, we are to live for the will of God, not for human lusts. No, no one likes to talk about lust. So what is lust? A working definition of lust. 
passion, inordinate desire. We're, we're to set aside our fleshly cravings and we're to live not for our will and desire, but for God's will and God's desire, just like Jesus prayed. Just like Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, Father, but yours. And Peter gives some further understanding to this command in, in verse 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behavior, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. Peter is going down this list of activities, and it sounds pretty lively. Indecent behavior, lewdness, lusts, passionate longing, drunkenness, carousing, unbridled sexual behavior, drinking parties, wanton idolatries. Really, it sounds pretty exhausting. Peter says the time already passed is sufficient for you and me to have carried out these out-of-control desires. That season in which you were involved in those things possibly, that's over. That's done. That's yesterday. And Peter refers to this list as the desire of the Gentiles. And as we've seen earlier, Gentile doesn't mean a non-Jew in this case. It means not being a Christ follower. Peter says in verse 4, In all of this, these ones who are carrying on in this fashion, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of debauchery, and they slander you. Ah, running with the pack. And and this brings up certain images for some. In in all of this, our brothers and sisters from another life, they're surprised. Why? Well, Peter says that they are surprised that you and I do not run with them in, in the very same excesses of debauchery. What is debauchery again? We've heard it. What, what's, what does it mean? Wastefulness. Peter is saying, in essence, don't waste your life. You, you've already wasted enough time. Don't, don't waste any more. We, we don't travel the same path because we're not supposed to. That was yesterday. We now represent Christ. And Peter has been telling us this since chapter 1 of 1 Peter. We represent Christ. We had to hop on a different road. And the old pulpit commentary, that that old road, it it means the lost state in which a a man is given up to self-indulgence and saves neither reputation, earthly position, nor his immortal soul. Those older writers have a way of really capturing that thought. And, And this can be a problem for the old gang. It can be a problem. Why? Well, we're different. And and this is such a problem for them that they burn the bridge to you and me and and they slander you and me. And this is something that applies to not just those who are adolescents or in their 20s or 30s. An old friend of mine who used to go with our group and we'd go out singing in nursing homes, this is what she told me. She said, Jake, one of the biggest lies we can tell ourselves is that all these senior adults in these nursing homes, that they're Christians, that they've trusted the Lord. That's why it's so important that we always delivered the gospel when we'd go out and we'd sing. We can't be fooled to thinking things generationally that aren't accurate. So this applies to all of us. These folks with whom we used to hang around with and run and, and kind of cut a wide path, they slander you and me. And the word they use for slander, it's actually the word for blaspheme. And when we think of blaspheme, we think about saying unholy things about holy things. 
And that's pretty serious slander. But they're actually not blaspheming you and me. They're blaspheming the Lord and His calling us out of sin and His calling us to a life of purpose. They're actually blaspheming the Lord and the salvation which He alone can offer and and He alone can deliver. And we have to keep in mind, this can happen in any age, not just adolescence. Friends you may have had for five decades can disregard you once you turn more deeply to the things of the Lord. Peter says in verse 5, "These, These ones, they will give account to Him, the Lord, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who slander will give an account to the Lord who is ready to judge. Verse 6, For the gospel has, for this purpose, there's that word again, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as people, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached. What purpose? Even to those who were dead, those who are now dead, they heard the gospel preached to them while they were living. Though they were judged in the flesh as people, they live in the Spirit. And and this is the purpose of preaching the gospel. Right there in verse 6, this is the purpose. Salvation is the goal according to the will of God. We've heard the words in the last few weeks of of the theologian Wayne Grudem, the Bible teacher Wayne Grudem, and, and he gives us some additional insight on this. He says... I think this is helpful. Short of the second coming of Christ, the gospel was never intended to save people from physical death. All people, both Christians and non-Christians, still have to die. They have to die physically. And and to those who are dead in verse 6, the gospel of Christ was preached to them so that they might live in the Spirit according to God. It was with respect to the final judgment that the gospel was preached and it will save them from final condemnation. And and Grudem goes on to say, We are assured here that believers who have died are nonetheless living and enjoying blessings in the unseen spiritual and eternal realm which is characterized by the Holy Spirit's activity. Do you remember the, the words which Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross who trusted him? This day you will be with me. This day. Edmund Clowney says it this way. He says, Christ the judge was preached to those who were now dead. He was preached and they believed. That preaching brought about a decisive change and although they might be judged in the flesh, in the eyes of human beings, they live in the Spirit. They live in the Spirit in the eyes of God. And in verse 7, Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things is near. Therefore, since this is the reality, be of sound judgment, be of of sound mind and self-control, be of sober spirit, be calm, cool, collected, be vigilant for the purpose of prayer. There's that word again, purpose. With sound judgment, sober spirit, intentional prayer, Peter is, is... is saying, he's getting ready to say, pay attention to a list of responsibilities which I'm getting ready to present to you. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, keep fervent in your love. Definition of fervent. It's constant. It's strenuous. 
It's intense. It's zealous. Strenuous in the fact that it doesn't let up. Peter says keep fervent because love covers a multitude of sins. And and that's that classic phrase, love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, love one another. Wayne Grudem says this. He says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians... Many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and and forgotten. But where love is lacking, listen to this, where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. We've seen that, haven't we? In In the years in church life along the road of life, we've seen this where every word is minced apart, taken offense, questioned. Is there an ulterior motive? I uh, had the pleasure of working with a gentleman when, when the church called me to serve on staff as an associate minister. He told me early on, he said, Jake, the longer we live together and we minister together and we're the body of Christ together, there's going to be a bump in the road. It's going to happen. That's life. And we're people. And he said how we live and how we love one another and how we move past it, that is part of our gospel witness. It's it's very true. And love is always in season. It's not like Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck arguing, it's duck season. No, it's rabbit season. It's duck season. Love is always in season and it churches life especially in the middle of a pandemic, especially in times like these, we have to love one another. And it's more than just saying it. it. Love is proven by action. Edmund Clowney writes it like this. He says, It is the reach of God's love that stretches our love. We love because He first loved us. Our love, kindled by God's love, is stretched by exercise you got to work it. If love collapses at its first test, it is not worthy of the name. Love never fails. Clowney goes on to give an example using a family, a picture of a family. A parent's love for a child grows as it is tested. Someone said that a toddler steps on your feet and a teenager on your heart. Maturing children, in turn may grow in love for their parents. As adults, they perceive the faults and the sins of their fathers and mothers in a whole new perspective. Their love is tested and grows. Peter addresses love, and and then immediately after he addresses love, we we have this next verse, and, and I don't think this is by accident. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. (laughs) be hospitable to one another uh, without complaint, without murmuring. Murmuring, mumbling, complaining, you know, comment, 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 comment. Murmuring, the, the the writer of the old pulpit commentary said it like this, murmuring would take from the hospitality all its beauty. You know, we do a, a wonderful act, a wonderful thing, and then we have to run commentary. It should be offered as a gift of love. And Christian love 
can never murmur or complain or comment or grumble or a little asides or this is my favorite. Well, I'm just picking. We're to be joyfully hospitable to one another. No cute comments. Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Each one of you has received a special gift. What kind of gift? A free gift of grace and favor. A spiritual gift given to each of us by the Lord. We're to employ the gift. We're to use the gift in serving one another. And if you do this, if I do this, we are, we are stewards, good stewards of the multifaceted grace of the Lord. The multifaceted, the manifold grace of God. We, throughout the New Testament, we see lists of giftings in more than one place. And we all have a gift in which we can glorify God and, and we're able to show grace to one another. The Lord is a creative God. And we read in the book of Psalms that His ways are higher than our ways. And that being said, He can gift in some creative ways. But His gifts are to be used in ways which glorify Him and point others to Christ. They're to, they're to edify the body. We're not to waste our gift. Let's not waste our gifts. Peter is telling us to love one another fervently. Don't let up. Be joyfully hospitable. And now serve one another. Serve one another. And then Peter says this, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. We've seen in recent weeks, we've been reminded of what we read in 2 Timothy, that the Word of God is Scripture and, and that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And, and our words, our conversation is not Scripture. But our words should be delivered with the same caution and the same weight. We shouldn't be so quick to cast off what we say. We need to take care with our words. And in the same manner, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Serve to, to care for the needs of others in such a way that we are to be cognizant, we are to be mindful of God's presence in our gifting. How we act, that we're doing it in the spirit of the Lord, that the Lord's watching us with what we say, that, that the Lord hears us. And if you and I both speak and, and serve in this fashion, we are ministering in, in such a way that we are pointing lives to the things of God. We should be intentional and pay mind when we do. We, we should speak and we should act with purpose. We should be responsible with our words and our actions. And, and something else... Peter set up this section about loving and serving one another in the church with a preface of a specific purpose. Look at the end of verse 7. The purpose of prayer. If we love and we serve in our own strength, what will eventually happen? <laughs> we will burn out. We will run out of gas. We will run out of patience. 
and then who knows what will come out of our mouths. We can only love and we can only serve fervently if we abide in the Lord with a relationship of prayer as we point to Him in our words and our deeds. If, if we follow Peter's direction, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. In all things, Jesus is glorified, God is glorified, and the reality is all of this belongs to them anyway. I mean, what did Peter say? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion. Dominion means a very large footprint. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Truly, so be it. The Lord is the source of all of it, in word and in deed. Paul reminds us of this in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15. Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross." It's all by Him, it's all through Him, and it's all for Him. Jesus reconciled all things to Himself, whether things on earth or, or things in heaven, having made peace through His death on the cross. And this was the entire reason He suffered. This was His purpose. And if, if you're struggling for a renewed sense of purpose, the Lord has one for you. But it all begins with making peace with Him. And, and maybe you've never done that before. And today's the day to turn to Him by confessing your, your sin to Him. You believe that Jesus, as the Son of God, suffered and he, and he died on the cross to take all your sin in Himself in order to pay your sin debt so that you could have a relationship of peace with God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And once you do that, you'll be able to better understand how you're a part of the purpose which the Lord has already revealed to us in His Word. It's, it's all by Him. <laughs> it's all through Him. And it's all for Him.